She was of divine stock, not of men, in the forepart a lion, in the hinder a serpent, and in the midst a goat, breathing forth in terrible wise the might of a blazing fire. Homer's Iliad. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. And that only took us seven tries. Just about. <laughs> Our episode today is about the oldest kind of monster. The name is not quite so old, but we are using the term chimera for all of those monsters that are a mix of something. Chimera tend to be monsters that are half this, half that, or part this, middle part this, and part this, like our quote suggested. But the oldest monster on record, as best we can tell, was the Lowenmensch, which is half man, half lion. I believe it was German. So I think the lion was mountain lion. But... It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to try to figure out how to create a monster if you're just taking Lego bits from this one and Lego bits from that one and sort of mashing them together. And that really is what a chimera is. The term chimera comes from Homer's Iliad. That's kind of the earliest written record of it. But it's just a mix. And the reason why they're considered monsters is because they were seen as unnatural. Because they were a combination of things that should never be together, they should be feared. Yeah, you see a lot of the mammal mixed with bird, mixed with humanoid, mixed with serpentine in some regard. If you have something that's somewhere between a cat and a dog... Okay, that's not as terrifying as something somewhere between a cat and a hunting spider, because they're more separate. And there's also a little subcategory of a chimera that tend to be riddlers, and we'll talk about the sphinx a little bit later in this episode. So let's get into examples. One of the most common types of a chimera is a half-human of some kind. Of course, the first thing that comes to mind is centaurs and fawns. As somebody who grew up reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, fawns were a large part of my imagination. But you also have in Eastern cultures, the Tengu, which are a human-bird combination. There are a couple of different names for that, but that's the one that I learned first. In Western cultures, adopted from Persia was the manticore, where it's seen as having a human head, the body of a lion, and the tail of either a scorpion or a porcupine. I think the second's more terrifying. Uh Uh-huh. Especially in some of the descriptions I was reading is that it would shoot out the spines from the tail and then regrow them almost instantly. This needs to be in a movie at some point. You put it in your book, let me know. I want to see this. Yes. (laughs) And then, of course, you also have the Egyptian Sphinx, which is the Riddler, the very much seen as wise. If you can best it using your mind, then it won't eat you. And I think Oedipus had a Sphinx in his story as well that was part of the prophecy that would bring about his own doom. But having a character be not only physically powerful, but witty, it's kind of a part of how characters can be better than their readers in a way. They can be heroic, 
not only by chopping off Medusa's head, but by figuring out how to see her by being smart as well. And the sphinxes tend to be an opportunity in a lot of Mediterranean mythology to showcase your character's brilliance. The reason why the half-human monsters tend to be so scary is because it's an abomination of something that people are so familiar with. We know what humankind is. We know what it looks like. And if it looks different, especially in ancient cultures, it was to be feared. And I think a lot of the before DC and Marvel superpower type characters tended to be in this category. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where he has this, in this case, mental half of him that is animal. And then you've got things like Spider-Man, where you have, he's half spider, half man. Your heroes can be in some way, but they tend to be conflicted. So let's get on to some of the more interesting combinations, I guess you could say. The mix and match meshes of creatures. The origin of the word chimera is, like we said a little bit earlier, from Homer's Iliad. That is the lion head and body. There's a goat head in the middle with the goat udders and then a serpent's tail. If you look throughout world history, you can find almost any two combinations in some regard. One of my favorites is an eagle in the front and a lion in the back. That's the griffin. And kind of going along with that was introduced to, at least to me in the Harry Potter universe, is the hippogriff, where it's the eagle in the front and the horse in the back. This is not to be confused with the hippocamp, which will be covered when we talk about aquatic monsters next episode. But it is also worthy of mentioning a chimera as well. And mermaids, again, half fish, half human. And if you haven't quite figured it out, The griff part of the word is the eagle. The hippo is the horse. If you look at the root of the word, it can give you an idea of what the monster is. So another beast that is fairly common in Arthurian legends and then in some other places, we're going to describe it to you. And I want you to picture this creature. I want you to put the image together in your head. This strange creature has the head and neck of a serpent, the body of a leopard, the haunches of a lion, and the feet of a deer. Do you have it? Are you picturing it in your head? What does it look like? Well, what you described, the serpent head, a leopard body, lion back, and then hooves. But if you really break that down, it actually describes a giraffe. When these mythologies were written, there weren't a whole lot of travels to Central Africa to see giraffes. So it's very possible somebody went there and came back and described this monstrous thing with this super long neck, but had leopard fur, but hooves, and then the tail and the the haunches. It looked like a lion tail. So this creature is called a questing beast. And you see it in Arthurian legend, Questing is a pun, and I love it. Questing, in this case, means barking in some way. But Arthur was also sent at one point to deal with said questing beast, so he was on a quest for the questing beast. (laughs) 
Some of the earliest writings that included a questing beast are from the 13th century in France. And one of the earliest descriptions of how a questing beast is made was that it's born of a young woman and a devil. And I won't get super into the details because it's rather complicated. But if you want to look into it, it's interesting. And one of the things that you're going to see as far as trends in Chimera are that they are abnormalities in some way. It's the only one of this kind. There's only one Sphinx until this one is destroyed and then they pop up with a different one. There's only one questing beast because they're so difficult to come across. Whereas if you have fae or giants, there are a whole race of people that exist alongside humans. A lot of them also have some kind of super strength or physical abilities. Like in the beginning, the chimera can breathe fire. The manticore is either venomous or shoots darts. And if there is a human element to this monster, it's often demigod in a way. It was popular for Zeus to turn into a swan and all sorts of other random stuff. So they're kind of the gods rejects that were just kind of sent down to Earth. You guys can deal with them. But if they're half human, they tend to be ones you have to both overpower and outsmart. So that's generally how you deal with them. The questing creatures, the questing beasts, the chimera, those in mythology were made to be killed. Usually it took a lot of trickery, a little bit of smarts in order to kill it, not just brute force. That's their whole thing. So the questing beast was killed by a lance. An arrow killed Chimera from the back of Pegasus. And often these creatures in storytelling are simply in the way. You think of the Mintar or a lot of the Sphinxes, those kind of characters. They aren't the end game like questing to go kill a dragon would be. But they need to get through the maze. They need to get to the other side of the road. Sounds like a bad joke. But getting to somewhere else, they are in the way. So long as you can get past them, whatever it takes, outsmarting them by answering their riddle or whatever, you can go on your way. I hope this information has given you some good ideas. Really, if you just take a creature or five, throw them all together in one, you've created your own chimera. If you've seen the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender, you kind of get what a chimera is. There's a spider fly, the glow flies, elbow leeches, catagators, polar bear dogs, buffalo yaks, tiger seals, otter penguins. It just gets creepier. I love it. So just throw them all together in one, make yourself a chimera, and send them on a quest. Or make them stand in the way of your hero's quest. But whatever you do, write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 